All right, welcome to the Truth Hoops podcast. We have Brendan back on again as a co-host. Shane is off on vacation in a far, far away land, maybe in Omaha, based on his Twitter. Nebraska. Oh, he's in, out in Omaha. I don't know. I saw a picture of him. Training those country boys. He's in Iowa, so I just saw a picture of him like a Creighton gym, so maybe he's there. I don't know. Um, Couldn't make it today, but with the recent uh, NBA news going on, which I'm sure if you don't live on a rock, you've seen the trade deadline stuff. We want to hop on here today because he'll talk about, we'll talk about how NBA trade deadline can be looked at from multiple perspectives from a skill development standpoint and what that means. So like a lot of times we hear NBA and we think trades and we're going to sit here and give opinions on whether or not the Luka Doncic Kyrie Irving thing makes sense. But I want to approach this from like a skill standpoint and what it means if uh, you're a fan of these teams and what to look for, but also people can get educated uh, takes on this stuff beyond just like, Oh, is that a good player, a bad player, good fit, bad fit. Talk a little bit more detail here. So obviously trade deadline hit. It came, it went, it was exciting, lots of happening. The first piece to fall, the Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic trade. What do you grade that? You know, for the Mavs, they had to make a big swing. I'm going to give the Mavs a good B-plus on that trade, honestly. Um, I I don't hate it. Now with Kyrie, we're just waiting for that other shoe to drop with him. Who knows what he's going to say, what he's going to do that's going to basically take him off the court or take the attention off of him, but... Um, in all, I think putting Kyrie next to a guy like Luca is going to be super interesting. I'm seeing a lot of comps with obviously Kyrie playing with LeBron and that, uh, duo is probably the best duo LeBron's played with. Um, does so it'll anyone, be interesting to see how Luca and Kyrie kind of mesh together. Does anyone who watch basketball or think about basketball from a perspective of like, I don't know, a physical traits and skill development standpoint, really think Luca and Kyrie is LeBron and Kyrie. Like, well, in terms of styles, obviously the skill sets are a little different. But no, it it's the it's, way Luca controls the ball all the time. It's it's very James similar. Harden. It's James Harden, uh, a more ball dominant Chris Paul. You, I mean, you could look at it from that perspective too. But I think Luca's size is just another factor that that just makes it different from James. I'm seeing a lot of the James Harden comps, but I just feel like Luca's size and the way he controls the game is a little more similar to LeBron, which is why I you... think it's not quite apples to apples with him and and Harden. <laughs> No, dude, it's, it is Harden. Harden did that with the Rockets. But, but he doesn't dominant. control the game quite like LeBron did. That's what I'm saying. Their styles are similar. But Luka, I think, the reason why I think Luka's a better player than James Harden is, is because he's able to control the game. I, James Harden controlled ways. the game when he was with the Rockets. But he, he did control the game, obviously, from a very ISO just dominant. What does Luca do? I'm not saying Luca doesn't do that. The same but I think player. the way Luca still puts pieces around, where he moves his players, how he like controls the sets he's calling, I think that's where it's a little bit more LeBron like, where he's Boy, controlling those aspects. I don't think so. Well, the, the, let's hear your your. I just, he's not. Right? He's not. LeBron so, so like. you don't think the Luca and Kyrie pairings gonna be good? When was all? the last possession we saw Luca pass the ball up? And well, be a with that current roster, is he supposed to let Spencer Dinwiddie have the ball in the same type of capacity that a guy like Kyrie is going to have it? I think this will free Luka up. He's going to obviously have to change the way he plays completely. Like, he's going to have to change. But he never had a guy like Kyrie to play with. So now he has that <laughs> you opportunity. You can say that about anyone. You can say, oh, he's never had that guy to play. Or that, but I can just... say it about Luka because that's what he, that was the circumstances of where he was with the Mavericks. That was the that... roster around him. 
So who how else do you, you want controlling the ball on that team other than Luca? How and still okay? How do you win a basketball game? This is the great debate. How do you win a basketball game? Do you, you win score a more basketball? points than the other team? Okay, great, right? Yes. That's fair. And I think with any coach with enough time to prepare, you could stop any single player. Single player. There's not been shown in the past 15 years that a single player can win. You can have a, a cohort of great players. Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, LeBron, the big three in the Celtics. We have not seen a single player. And Giannis, I guess, was the closest to that, but that's not really true either. Yeah, Chris you mean Middleton and Drew were so good. In, so let's not run. go down that path, right? And so I, when you take – so you win basketball games, I think, by making the defense – first off, you need good enough players, but you make the defense play multiple defensive games. And what I mean by that is with Giannis, Giannis's ability to push the pace in transition so aggressively makes the threat of transition defense so unbelievable, or a threat of transition offense so unbelievably high. I'd be willing to bet the exertion of get back speed that teams have to run to get back to build a wall is significantly higher than any other team. So that's one game Giannis forces. In the half court, Giannis is probably not the world's greatest offensive player in terms of versatility. But then you have Chris Middleton who forces him to play a secondary game because the gravity of Giannis draws so much attention that it forces mismatches. I don't see Kyrie Irving being the guy like who's going to draw the gravity to kick out to Luka. I can never see in my head. What? You Kyrie really Irving. don't think Kyrie's going to attract attention like that? And, and to no, your other point, I do. you Let don't see finish. Kyrie pushing pace? Let me finish. I don't see, first off, that's complimentary. I don't see Kyrie running the court and then like Luka like next to him running with him. But like, Kyrie's, watch... gonna, uh, Kyrie's going to give the Mavericks more pace. He's going to, which they never Is that had. a good so thing or he, a bad thing? That's I a good thing. You just, no, you just explained in your... You just explained in your open that you need different it's, layers of defense, it's right? It's not a or complimentary. Oh my god, this is—it's not a complimentary offense. So what I mean by that is a. But how can you offense. say that when we first of all we've only seen them play one game, which they won, and they looked and Luka pretty didn't damn play. good. Luca didn't play, but Kyrie still played and looked pretty damn good. I'm not arguing. I'm arguing this from a skill standpoint that this doesn't make sense. So I think a better fit for them would have been a low post scoring big. Like if you had on the white <laughs> like, teams, like Kristaps like Porzingis. <laughs> no, and but this is a little frustration with the era because I don't think the era has enough. Like where we're in right now, bigs who are like willing to score in the post anymore. If you could imagine, like a great fit with Luca would be Bobby Portis and two other shooters or like hybrid wings. Someone who, when Luca has the ball and they have a double team on the block, he can throw middle post and score. Or he has a double team on the extended wing, he can throw down low and score and force the action almost like an old school triangle offense type deal. I just think the acceptance of I get a superstar, he's really good, and then we're going to retrospectively justify how he's going to fit into this team in the same way we've had the, the, the carousel of people around James Harden until he's had Joel Embiid, who is a dominant low score and big. Have we seen the gravity kind of play complimentary off each other? I just don't. I, and you, you see that with the Spurs, you had Tony Parker, who you could argue people get mad. 
Maybe he's like a poor man's Kyrie of that era. Whatever you want to say. Well, Tony's Parker's amazing. Home. People need to amazing. put more respect on Tony's yeah, name. He's Absolutely. Phenomenal. But I think kids would be like, who's Tony Parker? Tony Parker was probably Kyrie Irving skill-wise from a small guard who gets to the paint. Like who for that era? He was at the first of that. And he had Tim Duncan who drew the gravity. And you had players. It just doesn't seem complimentary at all. It seems like but, who's the superstar we could get? And then let's go around it. And just from a skill standpoint, what Luca's usage rate is like the third or second highest in the NBA from ball dominant standpoint. But so, so I, we, we, we totally understand the ball dominant part of Luca's game. It, it probably drives a ton of people really crazy, but I think you're underestimating Kyrie Irving's malleability and his ability to just kind of sink in with any type of basketball situation. He's in strictly basketball off the court stuff. Let's leave that aside from just a basketball perspective. Kyrie can play in any type of position. I think Draymond was making a great point on his pod. His skills do complement Luca pretty damn well. He's great in transition. He's a great spot shooter, which is exactly what you need when you're playing alongside a guy like Luca, who's going to be looking to drive kick and basically just hopefully get you into a catch and shoot situation. Kyrie's great in that scenario. And then Kyrie can run any second unit when Luca needs to go to the bench. And you're basically, how much does that drop off from Luca to Kyrie? There's a drop off, but how big is it? It's not that big. So I do think the skills do match up a little bit better than I think you're you're thinking. I do think Kyrie and Luca can complement each other pretty well, well. I'm happy to prove wrong. I'm nothing against Kyrie Irving as a highly talented basketball player. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying that I just don't think if I were the Mavericks midseason trying to make a run, that that is the option. But what it goes back to, that's why I want to have this podcast, is all these trades exist because it seems like people just can't develop people. No, <laughs> like it's point. like it's like we're ch- hey, what's our best bet? We have twelve months of player development, or we can just panic at the deadline and try and get a, a superstar. I just don't understand why everything is acquisition of a player, and nothing is development. And when you watch like the Warriors, they have a system. They develop players to fit within that system whether it was a Festus Azili or Kayvon Looney, you have these parts that seem to be like interchangeable generationally. You had the Spurs when they were that type of team, whether it was Gary Neal or whether it was like Dan Sean Green. Elliott. Like, you know what I mean? You had these guys yeah. who were just kind of fit in extremely well with those teams. Um, Tiago Splitter, who just Thiago. like play his role, right? It would it's a great Popovich player, Tiago. It's a great Popovich guy, right? And so, there. like, you can see the distinction between teams that develop these players, and you have teams where you have, like, oh, here's an amazing player, and then we're just kind of randomly going about like developing people. I, I don't know the Mavs, I don't know their situation there, but it just seems very odd to me that you would go through drafting players, and your whole premise is a hypothesis that, like, Luka Doncic with X counterparts is going to make this team very good or championship bound. And then you get players like, uh, is it Jalen Hardy who you draft who on his, now he's in a position where he's like, I don't fit well in this organization. And then picked randomly to be in here. Yeah. And you saw Montrez Harrell recently tweet like, Hey, how do you get playing time? He's like, I don't know how to get it. It just, from an external standpoint, this seems like an utter chaos of disorganization across the league versus why don't you get a guy who is going to potentially 
and it sounds so much easier maybe said than done. I'm not saying you can develop a Kyrie Irving. That's not the point of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, you can't but develop like, a Kyrie. <laughs> no, he's a generational talent, one of the all-time most skilled guards in history of basketball. But why can't you develop counterparts that fit in well with the system? Like, I, I, for some reason, I just don't understand that. And it gets, I, not to go on a rant, but like not everyone needs to travel with the team. Why is there an obsession to travel with a team? Like some of these guys aren't going to play or their playing time doesn't really matter a ton. Why are they spending so many days traveling around just being tired and not getting minutes when they could be back at home base developing your skills? And this is like the whole G League argument where the G League is not used at all for development. It's just used to like as a facade to just play players. And like, to why test out you... new rules for the NBA. That's basically yeah, well, what it is. It's not a player development system. Yeah. No, to your point. It, it's just so mind boggling that you can have, there's like no emphasis placed on any sort of development. It's like the QB phenomenon where you draft a QB playing for two years. If he doesn't an all pro, he's horrible. But then you have guys like Geno Smith who wins comeback player of the year who never would have gotten a chance, but he's developed. You have all these stories of guys who've developed into something that fits into a workable part in a successful organization. So these NBA teams, you see like, let's trade 75 second round picks. They're basically admitting that second round picks mean not, we can't do anything with second round picks anymore. Was it Richardson? Um, Jason Richardson is that his name? No, no, no. It's Spurs. Josh Richardson was picked up for five second round picks. Five, five second round picks. They, who, who cares? Like, you know what I mean? We're just, what are you going to do with five second round picks? You don't like develop these guys. You're just, it's just basically a roulette wheel of spinning. Well, it's interesting right now too, Max, sorry to cut you off there, but in this era uh, of the NBA, do people really understand the value of picks yet? I I think people are starting to kind of realize it. I think a big one was that Brooklyn Celtics trade back in, what was it? 2013, 14, whenever that was, that basically gave the Celtics Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. For the Nets to have an aging Paul Pierce and well, over the an hill KG. So. so that's a great question is, is the, a first round pick so highly valued because people can't develop anyone else? Is there really a distinction coming out of college where like these four players are going to have careers exponentially better despite the fact the league being littered with players who were picked? Fred Van Fleet wasn't even play, picked. All-star. Right, there's only what 24 all stars, is that right? Is it 12 per team, 10 per team, 20 all stars? Yeah, let me look at that real quick and then we'll. So there's only a certain number of all stars. If one out of how many of those, which is an aggregate of probably 150 active players who are drafted over two, how many years? Because you have X number of draft picks for two rounds and two rounds extrapolated over 10 years, which is like how long Fred Van Vliet has been in the league and he's an all star. That's a huge, unbelievable asset that someone's acquired yeah to to, to just think about how the obsession of like higher probability just guessing correctly than an obsession of investing any sort of money into performance development is so wild because i cannot possibly believe that when you get all these athletes that for some reason we can't find a way to develop them, even the fact that their physical traits are not that wildly different from one another. It's not like right. the guy who's picked 18th is really that much more physically different than the guy picked 36 more times than not. It's just the way it is. 
it's so bizarre. I want to know the the mathematical quantification of that. And I think it's reflected in the trade deadline and how people are just throwing picks around. They're yeah. Just, just, and they're paying so much for a player that's actively producing. Rudy Gobert traded for 8 million picks. <laughs> well, he, he completely ruined the market completely. Right. That's, that's, that's a very... But you that, that trade people, that trade did a lot of damage. What did the Bucks <laughs> trade for like seven or five second round draft picks too for uh Jay Crowder? Jay Crowder. They're just admitting like, well, maybe again, there's an urgency and a time aspect to it, but I, I don't know. It just seems very odd how quick teams are really able to launch. They're basically saying the odds of an undrafted player and a second round player have the same potential of being successful because we have no clue how to appraise talent at all. So we're just going to pick guys who produce currently. The known factor of production is weighed so much higher than a potential runway of production that people just just throw things at the wall. And then that's where you get SGA and guys like that like fall through the cracks with the Clippers. And now he's like one of the top 10 players. in the uh, Well, league. that's that, that trade too, that Paul George trade that led to SGA going to the thunder. I mean, that's another interesting one. Was that really worth it? They didn't really think those picks that were that's involved. That's a player appraisal things, issue, right? right? It's, Cause SGA was an active player. So someone currently looked at him and was like, yeah, you're not going to be much. But I, no, I, th- I do. I do think now for Paul, I don't think people thought he's going to be Paul George, but I do think there was a lot of buzz around SGA is going to be a real solid player. Like he's going to be maybe at the time they were thinking he'll be fringe all-star status, make a couple all-star teams. Now, I mean, Bill Simmons was saying on his pod, he's got to be one of the 12 best guys in the league now. So why are teams heralded for accurate picks, but just, just like totally ignored for erroneous picks? Like they're heralded for selecting the right guy. Oh, what a great GM. He always gets the, you know, gets so-and-so, but they did totally ignore the fact that you you, you traded, I don't know, SGA, a top 10 player in the league. Like, oh yeah, no big deal. But like, if you were to have picked him, you would have been praised as a genius at a, you know, like appraisal of, of athletics. I think that just showcases how broken the system is in terms of player development, in terms of player appraisal and people go, Oh, well, he wasn't going to get the minutes at the Clippers. So he went to OKC and developed. Well, isn't like, isn't that the case alone that he should be doing something to develop? If he just needed time to develop in a competitive environment, maybe then a, a smart utilization, of the G league or whatever it might be uh, could have been done there. Yeah. Well, and then in line with the thunder, um, just to do a quick tangent here, I, I want to kind of get your opinions on what their player development is looking like. Um, Cause I, their roster now just it looks so intriguing. Um, so I, I and, and you know, they would have been basically playing the, the trust the process tank game for the last two, three years. But now I'm looking at these guys. They got shy Josh Giddy, poke who's barely even playing Jalen Williams, both Jalen Williams, Kenrich Williams looks really good. Um, Dort, who hasn't even really been playing that much this year. I mean, they, they just have a bunch of dudes. Chet Holmgren still hasn't even played yet. Um, and a lot of these guys at the start of what last season, n- no one knew any of these guys or what they'd be. And now as, as they're starting to play in this organization and develop the thunder, just have a bunch of dudes now. Like, I mean, uh, and on top of that, they have all their picks. Um, so I feel like they could be a shining example of what you can really accomplish if you, really focus but, on your player development, but I do want to get your take on 
are they really doing player development the right way? I, I don't know if you've heard anything or, or what that looks like, but I know they got a big sports science department and they have a lot of ass, but when you're also like, you have, don't have anyone else to play. <laughs> like, are, yeah. it was, was kind of like to your earlier point, right? Where they just get to play and they have freedom. They can explore. And it's and a lot of draft picks lot that were selected high. It's not like the rockets where it's like, Oh, we get our young guys to play with some other guys who weren't even drafted. <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's like still top tier draft picks playing. And right. so, I mean, a bunch of Williams is first round. Giddy was a first round guy. I'm pretty sure Poku was highly picked. Um, I know the other Williams was, I think he's actually second round or not drafted. So that's a, that's a good shining example door. I'm not sure where he was picked, but like maybe they have a better appraisal and they're willing to, they do a better job of assessing players. And that's why, Press is um, pretty damn good. Pressy is like <laughs> super aggressive in terms of collecting draft picks because he feels comfortable appraising people. He's like, I think that'll be a good player. That'll be a good player. Well, then he, and, and he probably understands the rest of the league doesn't know how to appraise players. Properly. Yeah, because there's so a he can really leverage those picks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like if you don't need to be the best, you should be better. It's like to or not get eaten by the bear. You got to run faster than your friend. <laughs> so you don't need to be like the best at appraising. You just need to realize these other guys stink at appraising players. And that's the real issue. If you can't appraise a player, how do you develop them? Right. So if you're the GM and you're selecting a player, that means you're selecting him based on an idea of what this player could become. I sure hope so. You're not just randomly picking a player relative to your system. You're running. And so you're well. not just appraising him right now. You're appraising him as to what he could be. And so you need to understand skill development, physical development. And if that player doesn't develop, is that because you didn't appraise your people who work in that environment, your staff, as the ability to actually develop them? I think so often these players get tossed to the side and, oh, he didn't do this and do that. But there isn't any strict roadmap in terms of like, you're picked here and picked there and you just X, Y, and Z. Again, I don't know teams in and out, but I can imagine... I can't imagine a GM picking a player and then calling the strength coach to be like, Hey, this is the program I want him to be. And so as someone who could potentially be in that field who'd worked, I imagine you just like constantly are trying to not injure somebody and make them happy in their program. Because in the, the day that person might be making $20 million a year and you might be making a hundred K they're literally making 200 times your salary and so they're <laughs> unhappy with you they're just like you get fired because the you just hire someone else and i don't know like, why gms get just totally off the hook for all this and it's like yeah, coaches and this like dude you picked the person like you selected this individual with the hypothesis or the belief that he could become this what's the justification for that belief do you yeah, know I, I Skill acquisition, do you know human performance? Because at the end of the day, when you pick a player, yeah, there are some aspects in terms of how the coach is going to use their physical capabilities and their skill sets. But then there also has to be like a belief as to, I think he's going to develop into this skill and this physical set because I have these abilities to make that happen. I'm not going to say, oh, I want a brick house. I'm going to build a brick house, but I only have wood laying around. Like that'd be a really bad idea to have a plan to build a brick house if I don't have any brick. So why am I selecting a player and then like hoping he's going to become some, some certain type of player 
despite not even knowing the things that are going to lead him to become that type of player. It just, people look at it from such a macro standpoint, like, oh, of course Tim Cook at Apple doesn't understand how to physically make the iPod. Okay, Tim Cook might be 70 people, 70 people removed from the person who makes the iPod. The GM's like two. Yeah. Like the guy down the office of the GM is the guy making the player. It's not like you're dealing with an organization of 7,000 people. You're dealing with 15 active roster players. You're dealing with probably nine performance staff player people to 10 um, with auxiliary, auxiliary coaches. But reality, the people who are working with the people, you have a head of each department, one, two, three, four departments, four people beneath you as a GM who you're operating with, with a coach. So five. It's not like you're dealing with, I have 7 million people who work in my company. So Max, can I pose a, a question or a scenario to you then? And I want you to be the GM, but also you get to design the development program. You're working for the Mavericks. This is pre-Kyrie trade. We're working with Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith. Me and Big Luca, Mark. Me and Mark Cuban working guys. together. You and Mark Cuban are trying to figure out how we can maximize this roster. We missed the deadline, Max. So I need a development system so I can maximize these guys for the system we're running. This is a pretty loaded question, but how, I guess, would you structure that? How would you fix this huge player development problem that the NBA has? Well, you if you have someone like Luca, you have a centerpiece who you believe is going to be a championship potential leader, right? So the question isn't like, how do I develop players? It's how do I develop a team around Luca with players who will allow him to, to get the most out of it? Because it's different than a blank slate. Because in that situation, you're trying to formulate what you have, and you're trying to formulate the offense that fit the skill set, and then the following uh, skill sets that need to be developed to make that offense run more efficiently under the coach who runs a certain type of setting or whatever offensive mm -hmm. framework or defense. So if you have Luca, me and Mark Cuban sitting down, you look at and have to critically make some, you make some assumptions, some guesses. Why has this failed in the past? What would make it succeed? And then you would begin to map out gaps. Okay. Is Luca a great question is, can you win with Luca being ball dominant? If you're actually assessing this from the, the ground up, the initial question is you have to assume your current model is incorrect because it hasn't won yet. So is Luca being this ball dominant a potential to win? If yes, what are the justifications? Oh, it's because he can get other people open. X, Y, and Z. And then you start to begin to look at, do we have that other person who can make this shot? Do we have the people who can score around the rim? And then once you identify within that framework, okay, I think this is what's needed. This is what's needed. This is what's needed. Then you begin to look at current players. Do they have the physical skill sets? Yes, no, maybe so. Can they develop into the physical, physical skill sets? That's an age and that's an ability standpoint. Yes, no, maybe so. If no, that's a trade asset. We don't need them. It's not going to be someone who's going to help us win. And that's no, 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 no. Potential yes, yes, yes. Then you stratify. Is it a skill? Is it a physical limitation? You say, okay, it's a physical limitation. Then we'll go to my athletic training department, my physical training department, and say, is this a skill set that can be developed or physical quality that can be developed? And they'll say, yes, no, maybe. Again, if no, goodbye. If yes, then we go down that path. And we outline how much detail that would take. And so by the end of it, there's no more guessing. And you begin to evaluate, are we getting closer to those 
physical and skill standpoints. And then you have the coach who's running the system who has to be the guy who regulates it and be like, yeah, you know, this is working, this isn't working, but you have to have an initial hypothesis. And that initial hypothesis starts with, can we win in this model? And what is our defined model of winning? Then we look at the, because nothing about their current steps before Kyrie indicated. Yeah, yeah. pre, pre, pre deadline. Pre Kyrie indicated that they were doing anything to develop anything like Kyrie. Right. So they just got rid of Jalen Brunson. So like, which was their first huge mistake. So, right? well, but that's a, so what you just, <laughs> their first big mistake. And maybe that that's like Cuban's pivot was like, Oh, that model appeared to be more accurate than the current model. So we're going to go get Kyrie. Who's like uh similar to what Jalen Brunson operated as. So you go from this whole time, you've got Jalen Brunson, who's this counterpiece. And then you said, basically, based on how much money he was worth, we're not going to win with him. We're actually going to win with more ball dominance by Luka. So we don't take on Jalen Brunson. Then we have Luka with huge ball dominance. And then we assume, oh, no, we screwed up. And we're going to go back to Kyrie, who fills the Jalen Brunson set, who was already deemed unsuccessful in their initial playoff run. And so like, what are you doing? You just did this, you're just spinning in a circle. And yeah. now you're not developing anyone around that. You're, it's just so bizarre that there's no continuity in the process of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And and I, I don't know what your take on this as well. I'll pose another question to you is what's the timetable look like to actually develop a player properly within your system? Because if we're looking at the three average years. NBA contract, years there sense. it is. Three makes sense, right? We're not even getting players to finish one year on current teams right now with how often these players are moving teams. And what the, the average frenetic... NBA contract length is two years with a third option. So how can you even develop these guys in in the right kind of time frame when there's just so much turnover? Like if, if you don't win immediately, okay, we're on to the next, on to the next thing. We, this didn't work. Where if we look at SGA and his development. His first year, his rookie season in 2018, averaged about 11 points, shot about 50% from the two-point line, 36% from three, 47% from the field, like all very promising, just gets traded for Paul George. Like doesn't even get the chance to really show where he can develop. Then his first year in OKC, that scoring average jumps from 10 points a game to damn near 20. So he almost doubles his scoring average over one year. And the Clippers didn't even get a chance to look at that, so which I think is crazy. You have to have, does the acquisition of someone actually make me closer to winning a championship? And like, give me the act, not closer, give me a chance to win it. And so I look at the Bucks as a juxtaposition and they went and got Jay Crowder and people are like, oh, this team's old. They got Jay Crowder. What's that going to do? They're selling out because they think right now they can win a championship. And if the NBA is about winning championships, that's a very logical move because the, the buildup process makes sense. Brooke Lopez, older. Uh, Chris Middleton has uh, a con. If they wanted to like retool everything, Chris Middleton was an option then because he's a $40 million contract next year. But you're like, look, it's about winning championships and now is a chance to win a championship. We think Jay Crowder, who's already been in the system, is going to help us win a championship. Yeah. And so there's continuity to the moves. Um just like the arbitrary, let's go get a really, really big name and do something. And you're like, what's the continuity to that? The previous moves the Bucks had made over the past four years made sense with the Jay Crowder move. Yeah, and, made and that sense roster maybe, now is so good. It's made so sense deep. with the lack of yeah. moves they did. And they and people have, you know, 
listen to Bill Simmons and he said something interesting, like maybe they go after someone like Pat Beverly to who might get bought out from the magic from a defensive standpoint and certain things like that. Cause that's a, that's a heavy continuity move. Older veteran players playing around a young superstar. If you think about the superstar sick looking manner, he's Giannis going to have another four year window, five year, six year window to win championships. He's got one, can get another one. And then after this, maybe you rebuild and maybe try and steal two more versus the Mavs are just like the spinning circle, <laughs> spinning like circle of like, Jalen Brunson, we're close, close, close. Oh, nope. Get rid of him. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Actually, I take that back. We we want someone who's going to fit that role. And then you have like this constant contender to be in the finals for the West. But is that really the goal? And now um, with this trade too, they're they're making a pretty big bet that Luka will stay in Dallas, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. After five years, if he's staying there, it'll be interesting. Such an, it's, a, it's a reflection of a system and it's a reflection and it often it's reflected through trade acquisition, but I think player development also fits that right. If you have a three-year window and you got, you know, why aren't you responsible for who you drafted three years ago to be a major role player now with the Mavs or whomever it might be? What, who did you draft three years ago? Pull that up, pull up the, who the Mavs drafted in the past couple of years. I know the one dude from Arizona is playing right now a decent amount. Um, yeah, let's take a I look at their draft picks the over the last. Well, how how deep do we want to go here, Max? Maybe what the past four years? Maybe since Luca? Three. If our if our window is three straight years, three. So all right. So twenty twenty two, they draft Wendell Moore first round, the twenty sixth pick. Um, twenty twenty, they the draft Josh anymore. Green from Arizona. He was their first pick, and the eight he was their eighteenth pick, first round. Uh, that same draft in the second round, they got Terrell Terry from Stanford. Um, Not around anymore. Yeah, and then the year before that, uh, Cervetis, who's now with the Pistons. Um, oh, that was a part. Yeah, he's now with the Pistons. And we three and then, years back right and now. Then I'm 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 now in 2018. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm going. Who, way who back we got now. now? And here's where they here's where they got one right. Jalen Brunson, second round, 33rd pick in the second round. So you could argue, yeah. It's and they got him by accident because they didn't think he was a first round. You know I mean? Think about that second round, 33rd pick. And now we at the top of the pod, we were talking about how these teams are just throwing second round picks away like nothing. These are gonna come back to haunt these teams. And I'm just it's, waiting for that first team but to it's really get in of the defeat because you look at the other guys, and they they purely look at second round draft picks as random. Yeah, completely. Just a which, random which, chance. Which, in fairness to them, it, it is it, to a certain extent. Is it random or is it random because people don't evaluate well? If everyone well, doesn't that, evaluate well, that plays into it for well, sure. for sure. Well, if you don't evaluate well, then you don't have the ability to build into. So, like, there's a certain point in time you should realize Luka Doncic is a potential like top three player, and then from there, all my draft picks, I'm gonna if I don't think I can win right now, like I think in four years Luka might be who I think he can be. I'm going to start hunting tons of second first round draft picks to develop people. So when I re-sign Luca, I'm now developing him with a group of guys and with guys who fit that role. But then again, if you have good development, you look at those guys, they're not even on the team anymore. Half of them are. <laughs> you can't trade them for anyone. And when actually Wendell Moore have been a decent fit on the team, but too bad he's not there. Well, that's the, I mean, these players don't even really get chances with these teams that are making these huge swings to be contenders. I mean, they, they don't weren't even, get even a taking a swing. They weren't taking a swing then. Yeah. That was like old Dirk. 
So it wasn't like and, that. And, it was like yeah, but but that that era too was was just so different than today because you know you can at least know as a coach. First of all, we're signing like max deals were what getting up to like the five to seven year range. <laughs> like you not what now the max deal is four. So with your best players, you have a hold of them for four years. Your role players are basically cycled through every other year. So where's the cohesiveness in any of that? How can you actually get a player development system to actually have consistency? I you can't in this current in invest this current more money. Form of the NBA. You're gonna pay guys hundred million dollars, spend four million a year on your on your staff, send people home. They're not even going every road game. Why do players need to go road games? But what's the incentive to develop this rookie I draft in the second round? Get him to a pretty good you know, at least a a, a role playing type of guy, and then we're just going to ship him out. I know you're developing developing at him least into you maybe an asset. Some, at least you can get someone better. But like maybe, but can you? To your earlier point, can, are you going to get somebody better? If Pressy went out right now and said, "Who wants Giddy? What do you think he's going to get?" Yeah, I mean, he's going to get a haul for sure. So, <laughs> am I? I'm right. Well, this is, but but not everybody's Presty. Not everybody's as good as he is, right? And well, I know that's, that's kind of what you're talking about, but. I mean, for these other teams that just don't have a GM or a scouting organization that knows how to evaluate players properly, then we have to shift it, right? And then go, how can we develop these guys to play into our system better? But how can you do that when you only get at probably maximum two years? And that's pretty generous now. You get two years to figure well, that's that the out. Issue. You're saying that teams only give them two years. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of like embedded acceptance of transactional uh maneuvers that have no mandate that it has to be done that way there's no reason it has to be two years like people just give them two years because they just give up exactly like, what's the ju- but so my question is if you're churning so many players every year because you would only churn a player because you've identified what they could be where they haven't gotten to and what went wrong along the way so if you're churning so many people, shouldn't you have tons of information as to how to not churn people? You like if think. you thought about yeah. it, like in terms of like a, a development standpoint of a product, if I'm churning every two years, a new iPhone that doesn't work as well, like the next iteration should be better. Are we just like constantly just churning without anything being better? Like from a research. That's what it feels like in the NBA right now. Doesn't it does. Not. That's, that's really how it feels. Montrez Harrell say things like that. To like, say, yeah, what and then what did just for the what did Montrez say exactly? They asked him, like, what he said, uh, what can you do to get better playing time? He's like, I don't know, like, they don't he tell really me. Said, I don't know, I don't know what the staff wants from me to improve on. That's crazy. Well, that's like I was watched the Jeremy Lynn 38 in the garden thing, and he talked about how one of the assistant coaches said he played assistant coach said this, he said he played like a, a Japanese comic book character, and you're like, first off, what does that even mean? Like, right. What right. utility is that? And now you could argue the race aspect, whatever it might be. I mean, it was but, absolutely racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you can also think about that in terms of like, like what's he trying to say in terms of yeah. like anything of any utility? I don't care who it is because it, or what it might be. But if you're going to have a player, even if he's the lowest on the totem pole, going to be said something like that. I'd imagine other people are giving like very bizarre like offensive okay. things as well like oh like you're you're uh you don't have that twitch to you and you're like what does that mean like yeah. uh yeah obviously it was a racist comment so you know, as, as a huge jeremy 
I'm a big Jeremy Lin fan. I watch that. So yeah, both are here. So the shout out, shout out Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy. Huge Jeremy fan. Big Lin Sandy guy. Um, but back to the story, just hearing that and like how if they're going to, that's an assistant coach. Like, isn't that the co- assistant yeah. coach's job to provide information to like what you should get better at? Even if it was in a hugely slanderous tone, imagine it wasn't in a slanderous tone and like you play, you play like a, like a video game character just saying that less less slanderous like what does that mean like how does that help me do do i shoot too much do i am i too reckless in my selection what yeah what does that mean and a lot of these assistant coaches i guess from from reports around what players are saying there's no direction for those two reports right i'm sure some coaches i mean there have been countless you and i have been sharing where it's i mean these a lot of these guys that are kind of deep on the bench they're left just like I don't know what I'm what what's expected of me. I don't know how what I'm supposed to develop, what I'm supposed to get better at. Because it seems to be just get better at all of it. Just shoot, handle the ball, just get better at those things. Yeah, and I talked to an individual who was in a, a team. And I made some tweets about this. He's like, "Oh, I'll talk to the GM for you." And he mentioned that like he asked him about this stuff, and the GM was like, "Don't you guys like do that or no?" And like the GM like had no idea, like there wasn't like player mapping and stuff. And he was like, he thought it was all like a brand new idea and then had no idea, like no one was doing this and wasn't doing this. Wow. And this is a guy yeah. who works uh, with certain people in that area. And just from what I've heard, like, you know, I'm, I, at one point in time, I interviewed for jobs like this. And even in my interview, it was like the most bizarre interviews I've ever done. And you're like, that doesn't like, what? I don't have any taste of like organizational structure here at all from these interviews they don't make any sense really it was always like what are you gonna do for the team i'm like i don't know what do you want me to do for the team you're hiring me i am an asset that you wield i am a a a shield that you use i am the laces on your shoes like don't tell me what i'm gonna do you tell me what i need to do you don't tell google do it for me you type into google how to you use as a search engine you don't use a don't blame a, a fork for being a bad spoon when you use it to eat soup. Like that's on you, man. <laughs> well, it, it's almost like these organizations are just ticking a box on their employment chart and just saying, all right, I, I need a strength coach. We'll just, we'll, we'll interview this guy check without any real stories, direction as to what they're trying to. I've heard a story of a guy who got hired as a sports scientist and then never did anything because the, they didn't know what a sports scientist was. So they hired him and they said, why aren't you doing sports science? He's like, well, that's, like not really how sports science. Like, what do you want me to do? He's like, aren't you doing science? And the guy's like, do you know why you hired me? And they're like, no, not aren't really. You doing science, Max. <laughs> yeah. So these, these are That's actual great. anecdotal things I've heard from people in different organizations. That's the staff who is supposed to develop a player. So if they don't know what they're using a staff for. Like, how are you? How are you developing a player? Yeah. How are and, exactly? Uh, I've talked to people, and they said one person I came across, they were like. One of the biggest things we need to make sure we do is that we need to have really good transition from their training in the off season with their strength coach and the training with us. We make sure that there's a clean handoff and continuity and we're doing like things that we should be doing. I'm like, well, there shouldn't be debates as to what they need to do. Like shouldn't, doesn't the player have like four bullet points of like what they need physically and skill set and their goal is to get better at those four bullet points and if they hire a dumb trainer who doesn't want to develop those four bullet points, then that's on the player for being dumb in terms of their own like development process. It's like, well, no, we don't really do that. We just like, you know, we want to make sure like when they come in 
if they've been working with someone, like we can still kind of include some of their stuff into their training program. I'm like, yeah, but like, aren't you guys the ones who hired the player? Like, shouldn't you be telling them like very distinctly, these are the four things you need to get better at. You'll get more playing time if you do these four things. And then so the player will go seek out in the off season, a trainer who's a resource who can help develop those four things to be better versus like, I hope they like do some stuff we like, and then we'll come back and make it a clean handoff. And I'm like, that sounds yeah. like a broken model. No, I didn't completely. Realize I with had no always... real thinking or planning involved in it. Like th there should be at least some type of connecting line between a player's training in the off season with whoever they're training with, with what's expected of them but come why... the season. And has then to in, there has in to season, be. not everyone needs to go to every game. Yeah. Spend a month developing a guy. Who cares? Like, I don't know, maybe don't make your G League uh, star play. Like, let's see, draft a guy in the first round. He's going to play in the G League. I've seen, like, uh, Johnny Davis in the go-go. People are really mad, not playing well, whatever. Don't make him travel. Play home games. Work on certain skills in your home games. Stay home. Train. Lift. Get better. Get more physically dominant. Do whatever. And every home game, you just play. <laughs> we don't need to burden you with travel. This guy's a college basketball player. Do you think he's not... Well, we need to prepare him for the NBA. Well, if he's not going to play in the NBA, what are you preparing him for? Yeah, it's a great point. Like, that's such a stupid concept. I don't want to bring, if I was going to the gym and I wasn't going to do deadlifts, I wouldn't bring shoes that I wear to deadlift. I wouldn't just go and bring all my players on a road trip just so they can like not do anything. That is a You're paying a guy on the bench millions of dollars to not do anything. You imagine like I go and I'm going to a meeting and I bring, I don't know, my programmer just so he can listen. And he could have been programming the whole time. And I got this guy on salary. He's just like sitting in a meeting doing nothing. I'm paying literally for him to do nothing. How is that helping him do anything? Can these guys not learn how to quote unquote be a pro? And that's the huge stuff you hear like, oh, you know, learn to be a pro. Okay. He can't learn to be a pro unless he travels and does nothing on the bench. Like, is that where you learn to be a pro? Or do you yeah. really learn to be a pro by staying home, developing, and putting your performance first for in the forefront? Well, like you were, I mean, so this is very, it's an important point for players that are struggling, you know, early on in their career, right? So, or later on, I'm not going to take a LaMelo ball and have him not travel, obviously, right? But yeah, for those guys that you drafted second round, you're looking to get something out of them. I think that's a great way to look at it. Maybe you do keep them at home, keep them in a comfortable, familiar environment, let them just Book develop. Night, James as, Booknight as, yeah. plays for yeah, the Book Night's a good Charlotte. example. Yeah. He's in the G League. Does he really need to travel to every G League game? Is, is traveling to every G League game going to make Book Knight a better basketball player? No. Do we really think that's the, that's the limiting factor in his development is traveling to every G League game? Like, Can't say it is. is. That's hilarious. Yeah, like, it's so stupid. Oh, we gotta go to every G League game. Why? You gotta build. You gotta be a pro. What are you talking about? You gotta be a good basketball player. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's also tied into obviously our issues with the G League, where there's so much potential there. You but say it's that just out not loud, it's so correctly. dumb. If you say that out loud, it's so stupid. That you gotta travel to every G League game. You really think the limiting factor in this player's development is coming to games that he's not gonna play and then traveling to G League game, like? going on the road and not playing and then like <laughs> could you imagine a baseball team doing that god they have like they put them in the minor league so they can play and the, even baseball does a little bit wrong i wouldn't have all my guys travel 
Yeah, but when there, there is there is something though to at least getting the cadence down of okay, I'm I'm you know I'm on no, a road trip. I got not, a back to back in two different no, cities. No, no, there isn't a cadence. No, but there is. There absolutely isn't travel. Travel does if affect you're not how gonna, you're going to play. If you're if you're already in the bench and you're looking at a guy, let's say uh, Giant Davis, the guys who are people are you know pouring on who's not who's already a bot. I, mean, I, I totally agree with you there. No, 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 that that point you make is is completely valid. Yes, yeah, so if you're having trouble just just getting on the court and playing, hundred percent. But I, I do think there is some value too once you're kind of getting into your groove. You're comfortable on the floor. Um, you understand where to be on travel. the floor. If you're if you're gonna play, you should come. If you're not gonna yeah, play, yeah, you don't but, need to come. But I but my 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 whole point there was just to say there there is something for kind of getting your body ready for that grueling sure. grueling. What percentage does that matter? Very very. Like that's the I great mean, thing. Like it's one yeah. percent, but we treat it like it's ninety. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's the true. whole. If you drew a pie chart of things that matters, like playing in every traveling. In like going around is like on his determinant of his career success. If you're if you're good enough at basketball, they keep you around. Believe it or not, you've yeah, seen it before. Yeah, fun fact. <laughs> oh my god, this makes me mad. All right, I'm gonna end it here. Come too upset. Um, the I'm, the I'm, the abrupt stop here, I'm Max. Too is just I'm too irritated. So irritated yeah. with how NBA teams do their player development. All right, I appreciate you guys listening. I'm ending it. I'm just just dead stop. Ending it right there. I'm not gonna say anything that gets me in trouble. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Hope you enjoy.